Good afternoon and welcome back to Other Minds and Hands. This is episode 15. Um, as you can see, things are not totally normal and as usual today, uh, I am um, without Maggie, for one thing. Maggie couldn't be uh, with me today, unfortunately. Um, but I am in an unusual place here today. Uh, this is not, this is not a, this is not a green screen. I actually uh, am appearing somewhere else here. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. So um, this is uh, uh, this is really exciting. I'm I'm joining you live from Studio Lab in Derry, New Hampshire. Um, this is uh, a really fun location. Uh, it's uh, an excellent digital studio. Um, you can see the set in the background there. Um, the glow, the lights that you can see um, over there. Um, that's not a real <laughs> chandelier. That's a digital chandelier behind me uh, on their big digital screen wall. Um, but um, anyway, yeah, so uh, I'm here uh, in the studio uh, because I'm working with the folks here at Studio Lab on a project that I'm looking forward to, share, to sharing with you uh, pretty soon. Um, I'm going to be doing a, um, an analysis show. I don't like to call it a reaction show um, because often with reaction shows, when you're you know, reacting right away. There's always, when new shows and things come out, uh, there's a lot of pressure to, you know, respond soonest and, and you know, kind of get in first. Um, but as you guys know, um, you know, that's not necessary. Doing things quickly is not really my bag. Um, so I'm gonna end up spending a little bit more time uh, in thinking through, uh, uh, Thinking through that, you know, each episode when the show is released. My plan right now is to do um, an episode of the show, which will drop sometimes like um, sometime like maybe Wednesday or Thursday of the following week, right before the next episode, right? Um, but in order to give people time to, you know, have your reactions, kind of process through, and then be ready for a deeper dive uh, and a discussion. Um, of uh, focused, of course, primarily on the uh, relationship of the story to Tolkien's world. Though, of course, as I've explained many times before, in order to really do a good analysis of an adaptation, I mean, even really in order to talk about the connections, um, you know, the, the proximity or distance uh, from Tolkien's story, we really need to be looking carefully at the adaptation's story itself on its own ground. So there'll be a lot of discussion that we'll be doing, trying to make sure that we're understanding what's happening, right? Before we just sort of focus on similarities and differences, um, that we look at what's happening there. Um, but uh, anyway, so, uh, so that's what that's what we're going to do. Um, and I'm excited to work uh, with my friends here at Studio Lab on, uh, uh, on that show. They're working on the, uh, the intro sequence right now, the uh, sort of movement uh, you can see uh, occasionally, or uh, people doing some work on the, the, the opening sequence um, uh, that you can see right over, uh, where is it? I'm trying to get my hand right. Yeah, right, right there, right, 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 right there, right there, yeah is the table, uh, table of props and stuff. So we got uh, our practical effects, practical effects, just like they keep doing, uh, uh, keep doing at Amazon. But um, anyway, I'm hoping Maggie will be able to join me next week. We, we may broadcast from here again uh, next week. Um, 
as uh, Maggie's actually over here uh, in America right now. So she couldn't be here today, but I'm hoping that she'll be able to be here next week. And next week, we're hoping to do uh, a little bit more discussion of the trailers specifically, uh, going through some of the trailer stuff. Of course, I'm happy to talk about it today. So um, Q&A, right? Um, ask me questions. Um, I, I have to admit, my head is still kind of spinning uh, from this past weekend. Let me uh, sort of remind you. Um, uh, let me remind you of the, um, the stuff that has happened, like the stuff that you can ask questions about. Um, one, um, at Comic-Con, of course, we, 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 we've got the trailer, right? We've got the new trailer. Um, we've got things that were said at Comic-Con. Um, I got a chance to meet the... Um, to meet the cast and have conversations with several members of the cast. I got to talk to the showrunners again. Um, uh, I, no, I did not get to meet Stephen Colbert. Uh, he had to, he left straight from the presentation. He was only very briefly uh, in town there for that. Um, but um, uh, but I, I, I did communicate with him. I'm hoping to uh, get him on the show sometime. Uh, so anyway, um, that's, uh, that, those are sort of things that uh, we can ask about. We'd be really, really happy to uh, uh, take any questions that you guys had. Let me, start with, um, let me start with some of the things that I feel that I learned. I could start saying some things about the trailer, um, but what I would like to really begin with is um, talking about uh, the, my cast conversations. Because to me, that was really, that was really the coolest um, that was really the coolest thing uh, that that happened. I mean, for I was you know of of all of the things that happened at Comic Con, that was the one that I think meant the most to me. And it's weird because in some ways I didn't expect that. I, I've never been one who's been um, particular. I've never been particularly starstruck by actors. You know, um, I mean, like I will confess that. Um, of all of the voiceover commentaries on the DVD sets of the Peter Jackson films, the cast commentary was my least favorite. I didn't hate it, you know, but it, I didn't watch it much. Uh, I, I never listened to that much. I, you know, I always was much more interested in listening to the writers and producers talk, you know, to Peter Jackson and uh, Philip Boyens and others, uh, you know, talking about the, like, big picture, you know, uh, 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 creative concept stuff. Um, and even the tech one uh, I found a little bit more interesting. Um, However, um, I was um, I was surprised at how well, like, informative it was. Uh, how interesting it was to meet the cast. Um, and um, yeah, can I can I share? Let's see. So, uh, uh, Lou Torres asks, can I share uh, some of the specific questions Lloyd Owen asked me about Elendil? Oh man, um, he was um, so he. He started by asking, we, we were talking about his death scene, um, and he was talking about, you know, what I thought was sort of most important, most significant that Elendil accomplished. And I was telling him about this stuff, the conversations that we had in exploring the Lord of the Rings, um, which was really a new thing for me. When we were doing the Council of Elrond, it was, uh, it was, um, that was a real highlight for me of our discussion of the Council of Elrond, was thinking about the sword of Elendil, the sword that was broken. What does it mean? What does it mean when, when Boromir is sent to seek for the sword that was broken, right? By, well, Faramir is sent, but Boromir, you know, gets, he goes, right? Um, he did get the vision once, right? So, you know, fine, whatever. Um, but um, uh, <laughs> it's, people were teasing me about spoilers. Um, you know, actually, that was really fun, like a general thing. I think there were, um, 
there were three or four actors uh, with whom <laughs> I had a conversation that included me saying, I can't wait for your death scene. That's going to be great. Lots of really good death scenes uh, coming up. Um, but um, uh, <laughs> anyway, um, the um, uh, uh, anyway, so uh, so. We started talking about the, uh, anyway, back to the broken sword, right? The sword that was broken. And what that meant, right? And of course, those of you who watch Exploring the Lord of the Rings will remember that we were talking about um, what it means for Aragorn to take up the sword of Elendil. Why the sword of Elendil? Why is the broken sword even that important? Why is, first of all, a broken sword this symbol that is tied to Elendil more than anything else, right? In a sense, you know, I mean, yes, the hilt shards of Narsil cut the ring from Sauron's hand, and that's, that's kind of a big deal, but, um, but it's not just, it's, if, if all I had were the hilt shards, right? Like with these, with these hilt shards, right, the ring was cut from uh, Sauron's hand, then the focus would be entirely on that act. Right? But that's not the emphasis there, nor is it called the Sword of Isildur, right, with which he cut the ring from Sauron's hand. It's called the Sword of Elendil, and it's the whole sword, but the whole broken sword. Right? In other words, it's about the death of the king. It's about the death of Elendil. And when Aragorn says, I will come to Minas Tirith, it's easy to think of that in a return of the king, like return of the king to the throne kind of sense. Right? Um, and, uh, uh, but that's, I think, definitely not what Aragorn is thinking. And we know that Aragorn was very conscious of following in the footsteps of Elendil. Remember, not only at the Council of Elrond, but earlier on at, at Weathertop, he is um, standing there saying, you know, right here, Elendil stood waiting for Gilgalad to come, uh, you know, in preparation for the Last Alliance. Um, that was... Um, he was, Aragorn was very conscious that he's walking in the footsteps, not of Isildur. We don't, we don't really want him all the way, certainly, to follow in the footsteps of Isildur, but in the footsteps of Elendil. And where did those footsteps lead Elendil, right? What was Elendil's story, essentially, at the end? And in the end, his story was one of sacrifice. Um, his story was... Um, uh, and yes, yes, uh, 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 blood ill-tempered, you're right. Elendil becomes a battle cry for Aragorn. That's what he shouts when he goes into battle. He draws his sword, Elendil, I am with you, right? Um, there are all of these ways in which, uh, it's, uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's well remembered there, um, uh, blood ill-tempered, um, that Aragorn very much sees himself as walking in the footsteps of Elendil. And where do those footsteps lead, right? Those footsteps lead not to the throne. Those footsteps lead to the Black Gate, right? And remember, at the Black Gate, Aragorn believes he is sacrificing himself. He believes they're all sacrificing themselves. Um, remember the conversation with the captains. Um, um, you know, they are the bait to the trap, right? And they feel that it is their duty. Um, uh, uh, they feel that it is their duty to, uh, to, 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 to do that, to submit to that, right? To um, uh, give their lives if necessary, if it is what needs to happen in order to give the ring bearer his chance, right? That is Aragorn's focus. So we talked about that for a while. And by the way, if this sounds long-winded, well, like, it's me, right? So it totally was long-winded. I was, I was keenly aware of the fact there was, um, um, uh, I, was I was divided 
in my mind and heart when I was talking to the cast, because on the one hand, I had limited time. So the way that they did it um, was, and I posted some pictures on Twitter of this so you can see the whole room, um, but um, they had four tables and each table had like five or six of the actors uh, sort of along one side. And then they had, you know, five or six of us who were uh, able to sit on the other side. Um, and they moved us. There were like, it was, it was a lunch. And so there were like four small courses for the lunch. And so we'd sit there for one course and then they'd move us around so that we'd be sitting with a different set of actors uh, for each uh, thing. So it was like kind of like speed dating. Um, but it wasn't that speedy, fortunately. But, you know, I don't know what we had, maybe 20 minutes uh, with each uh, set, essentially. But, of course, it also meant I could only really talk to the ones who were, like, right across from me and right nearby. Uh, so there's some that I didn't get to because they were down, down the table from me. Um, I didn't get to talk to Charles Edwards, who plays Kella Brimbor, I did, which I was really hoping to. Um, uh, there were a bunch of folks that I didn't get a chance to talk to at the luncheon for this reason. But I have to say... I felt pretty good about where I was put, actually. I was pretty close to the middle. Um, so I was right across from Lloyd Owen, who plays Elendo, and then Robert Arameo, who plays Elrond, and then Morvith Clark, who plays Galadriel. Um, and then I was uh, right across from uh, David Wyman, who plays um, The Stranger, a.k.a. Meteor Man. So um, that, was, um, that was really... Uh, that was really, really fun. Um, <laughs> Higgy Baby says, this camera is so much crisper than usual. Uh, yeah, it's going to be. Um, can I take it home? No. No, I cannot. I am, uh, I, am, I am joining you from a professional recording studio with professional equipment and not my webcam, which is what I normally use. Um, but um, anyway, so... Um, Anyway, but I was, I was talking about the sort of division in my mind when I was talking to the actors, because I only had, as I said, like, 10, 15, like 15, 20 minutes, and then they'd, you know, get us up and move us on. And, um, and I was very conscious, I was self-conscious of the fact that I was spending like half of the time talking myself, right? But I mean, like, you know, that long description I just gave of like Aragorn and Elendil and the way that Elendil serves as a pattern for Aragorn. Um, I gave a slightly shorter version of that, but I, I did that whole thing. I talked about that whole thing with, uh, with Lloyd Owen and we were talking about like other roots and things. So we were talking about, um, you know, he was asking me what other things, um, you know, he, you know his, his very first question was, what other things should I know? about Alendo, right? What, what would you think it's important for me to know about Alendo? Um, and I said, I think it's a sense. So I talked about Aragorn as I just did. I also, you know, he was, he was sort of, uh, uh prompting uh, me for more. And so I was talking about, we talked about the Notion Club papers and the Lost Road a little bit, uh, and how the character of Elendil became so essentially identified in Tolkien's imagination with elf friendship. Right. I mean, his very name means elf friend um, and the kind of combination of the Elendil and Alfwina uh, figures. Um, this, you know, the one human kind of point of contact to um, uh, to the, you know, with the elves and how important that is in the Numenor story and afterwards. Um, anyway, so. Uh, we, we, we talked about that, too, and that was really fun. Um, but anyway, like I said, I, I'm like, man, here is like my chance to talk to the cast, and I'm doing all the talking. I can't do that. But that was actually the thing that was so much fun about it, that I got to talk. No, no. But seriously, the thing that was so much fun about it was how full of questions they were. Um, I was like, on the one hand, I really, I really want to sit back and make them talk, and I, I want to do more listening. But at the same time, 
I, I mean, I couldn't say no when they were asking me questions, right? And when the, and and it was so. And overall, it was one of my biggest take-homes uh, from the whole thing was that they, um, they were so fascinated uh, to learn more. Um, they, you know, they had questions. They wanted answers too. They were, um, you know, they were really interested to hear our, and not just mine. Um, you know, I was sitting between um, uh, Matt from the Nerd of the Rings YouTube channel and Alan Sisto from the Prancing Pony podcast. Um, and so the three of us were usually engaging together with, you know, the folks across the table from us. Um, and anyway, I mean, it's, you know, they, you know, definitely, it was not just me they were asking questions of. It was, uh, uh, it was, it was, you know, Alan and Matt as well. And anyway, it was just, but the whole spirit of that, the whole spirit of their curiosity, um, of their um, of their interest, um, was really genuine. Uh, was really genuine in a way that um, I mean, I just I don't think I don't think you can fake. And this was again, that was a revelation to me. I wasn't expecting that that would necessarily be true. I was I was honestly expecting politeness, right? I mean, you know, this was a uh, you know promotional event, right? Uh, you know, they knew that the people they were talking to are, you know, uh, internet content creators and, and, uh, and all that sort of thing. But, um, uh, so obviously, you know, I knew they were going to be on their good behavior, right? I knew that they were going to be engaging and charming and things like that. And they were, you know, these are actors, they have high charisma scores, but, um, what I didn't expect, um, was the kind of interest and not only interest, but the obvious evidence that they had, um, that they'd been watching, right? That they actually had been um, coming to us. We were told that before. Uh, so when I went to London in May, the Amazon marketing people said to, to you know, to me, to several of us, like, oh, you know, the, the cast is really excited to meet you someday because, you know, they, 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 all, they, they listen to your stuff and they're, uh, they're really, you know, they, they are, you know, they're really excited to, um, uh, to actually get to meet you and stuff. And I'm like, okay, like, I'm not going to lie. I kind of felt buttered up. You know, like I, it's not like I was thinking they were lying to me exactly, but I'm like, eh, you know, maybe there's a little exaggeration going on. And I'm like, you know, I mean, it's they're, they're marketing people. Right. I'm like, it's you know, they're succeeding and putting me in a very positive frame of mind uh, right now by telling me this. I feel uh, I feel my 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 ego effectively stroked. Right. Um, but again, I was kind of taking it with a grain of salt. Um, I was not actually assuming um, that there were a lot of the cast who. Um, um, you know, actually did spend much time uh, listening to us. Um, and um, it was, um, but it was, it was, it couldn't have been more obvious. Um, I mean, I was not wearing a name tag, <laughs> um, but the, you know, for each of us, again, I was, I tended to be between Matt and, and Alan. That was, in fact, we were told to remain, you know, in that seating arrangement, um, uh, for mostly to help the wait staff and such. And, um, anyway, um, we, so I was, I was, I was, you know, it was like, uh, you know, Tolkien professor, prancing pony, nerd of the rings, uh, uh, sort of there together. And they, um, um, they, they knew, right. I mean, like they knew, um, they, they recognized us without name tags. They, you know, they, they, they all knew who we were. Um, and it was clear, you know, in talking with them, I mean, I've met a lot of people who are podcast listeners over the years at Moots and other places. And, um, there was, there, there were a lot of things. There were even a, a few of them, um, who reacted in a way that I have seen many times before of people who 
are interested in Tolkien, but don't feel really confident in their own Tolkien knowledge and therefore feel um, like a little self-conscious in uh, talking with me, like when I ask them the Tolkien question, you know, that, um, um, that affect that people have when they're like, oh, I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm embarrassed to, to answer this question because you know, I know that you know so much more than I do. It's like a dynamic I've experienced many times, right? And I, of course, I always try to encourage people. I love having talking conversations with folks. It's not a, it's not a test, right? It's not, you don't have to prove yourself. Um, uh, it's fun to talk about it, you know, wherever you are and whatever, however you, you react to it. But as I say, I've, uh, you know, I've been there a bunch of times before with people, and it was clear there were several of the actors who were responding that way too, that they uh, were like shy about um, uh, uh, talking about Tolkien with us because, um, anyway, it was, it was really fun. Um, uh, so that was, and, and it was really, oh, and by the way, there are a couple I know who, um, who watch this show, uh, Charlie Vickers. Hi, Charlie, if you're watching. Uh, Charlie Vickers, who plays Halbrand uh, in the show, particularly mentioned that he was, uh, he was a fan of Other Minds and Hands. Um, so uh, uh, there, are, there are definitely uh, some of the cast, and the writers, too. I got to talk to um, one of the folks from the writer's room uh, whom I met at that same party, and um, you know, she was also talking about how the, a, lot, a lot of the writers are you know, were listening to, um, uh, to our contents. So um, anyway, it's, um, it's really, um, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And, but again, it was such a testimony to I didn't expect it to be like that. Again, I didn't expect it to be like meeting Tolkien fans, you know, um, but it really was. Not everybody, I mean, it's clear, you know, there, it's not 100% of the cast that is like completely wrapped up in Tolkien. There are other, there are some who know it, you know, who are, who are more invested, right? But that's always true. I mean, we know that was very true in, you know, the Peter Jackson films, right? That there were some um, of the cast who were completely uh, into the Tolkien lore and some who are much less so, right? And that's fine. It's totally okay. Um, but um, yeah, no, let's see. So let me try to come back to some other questions. And yeah, some people are, are uh, deploying the very good practice of putting the word question in all caps at the beginning of comments, uh, which are questions you would like me to see. And that's good because I've got um, a lot of chat here. Um, not only the chat from, I've got the chat from four different platforms all combined together here, so it's a lot. Uh, so that helps me to be able to spot uh, questions that I should ask. Um, but um, anyway, let's see. Um, JJ was asking, of what little we've seen of the various plot threads, what story are you most curious about or most looking forward to see? Man, uh, it's a lot because there's actually stuff that I'm interested in in just about all of them. Um, I'm really curious about the Harfoots. Um, I'm curious to see, curious to see what the angle is there. Um, one of the things that um, was said, oh, blanking on her name, the actress who plays uh, Nori, um, the sort of lead Harfoot uh, character. Um, uh, I just, I, you know, I mentioned that I'm like very interested and very curious uh, in the Harfoots plotline, and her response was, "You haven't seen." the tiniest, you know, you've, you haven't seen more than the tiniest fraction. Um, she was, uh, she couldn't tell me more, of course. And by the way, we were, we were forbidden to talk about spoilers with the cast. And I didn't myself have much interest in talking about spoilers with the cast. Um, uh, I was, my focus was just talking Tolkien with them, basically. Um, 
and uh, you know, kind of sort of feeling them out on that, right? And sort of, uh, uh, you know, just seeing sort of what we had there. But, um, but she, you know, w what she was mentioning was, she was like, you really, like, the trailers that you've seen so far haven't really given any indication of the storyline. She's like, there's no way anybody could guess the storyline of the, of the Harfoots based on just what they've seen so far, um, so, which was intriguing. Uh, and I'm very interested in that. And the more I've thought about it, you know, I think it's um, the um, plant matter in the hair theme, you know, a little, little ongoing motif that we've seen from the earliest pictures on through. Um, and the way that that's become clearer and clearer uh, in the, um, the later trailers that we've gotten, um, that the sort of interest in that is primarily camouflage. Um, uh, the idea of how elusive they are as a people, which seems to me quite fitting, right? Um, we think about uh, the emphasis that Tolkien places on um, the, that professional skill that they have, right, of not being seen uh, by big and clumsy people. Um, and the way in which they really seem to be leaning into that in this project that they're doing of imagining this sort of, in a sense, well, no, not in a sense, quite literally prehistoric uh, uh, society uh, of hobbits, right? Um, oh, and by the way, I was just, uh, just rereading the Concerning Hobbits prologue the other day and found a reference I'd completely forgotten about, um, where Tolkien explicitly says in Concerning Hobbits that hobbits have been around since the Elder Days, um, which means the First Age. Almost I, I, every time it's used, it means the First Age. So Tolkien says explicitly that hobbits have been around since the First Age. So uh, don't listen to anybody who tells you that there are no hobbits in the Second Age. There absolutely were hobbits in the Second Age. Um, but here's the, the trick. Right. The trick is, um, the trick is, they can't end up right at the end of this story. They can't be in the same place that hobbits are at the end of the third age. Right. The way in which, you know, the hobbits step forth from their quiet country, their quiet countryside to take their places. Right. In the uh, in the 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 councils of the great. Right. Um, that can't happen or else it would have been remembered, probably, right? Um, we know that they were there, but they were relatively still off the map, right? Um, that doesn't mean that they can't interact with some of the big folks, even in memorable ways, because all it means is that it has to be forgotten within a few thousand years, which much is forgotten over the course of a few thousand years. Um, so, oh yes, they're nowhere near the Shire. And I don't know where they are. That would have counted as a spoiler. I was tempted to ask, but I didn't. Um, you know, where geographically they're located, but that, that kind of a specific question uh, crosses the line of things that I was uh, allowed to ask. And again, I, I didn't want to push that. Um, but um, uh, yeah, Tomas says, when I say prehistoric, I would assume a society that cannot write, but is rich in oral storytelling. Yeah, no, Tomas, I think they can write. Um, we've seen several evidence of, of, of written documents uh, with the Harfoots and some of the pictures that we've seen. So I don't think that they're an illiterate society, though, Tomas, I too would actually quite like to see an illiterate society. But, um, uh, but anyway, I, I think, um, uh, I think it's going to be, but I still think it's going to be interesting to see 
uh, this. So when I say prehistoric, I mean before any of the histories record. Like, you know, we don't get any stories about hobbits until the Third Age, right? Um, but remember that even there in the Lord of the Rings, um, some of the hobbits, I think it's, isn't it uh, Mary? I think talking to Treebeard, when Treebeard says they've been left off the old lists and Mary's like, we always get forgotten about, right? But we've been around a long time. Um, anyway, I'm, um, I'm really curious. So like they, so they can't be, the one thing, the one thing that would seem to be a restriction is that they can't really obtrude themselves so forceful, forcefully into the like awareness of um, Elrond, Galadriel, right? Um, who certainly would remember that um, come the third age. But yeah, I don't know. I could also see, however, them starting relationships, which um, like if, for instance, um, the stranger, uh, Meteor Man, turns out to be a wizard, which I still think smart money is on Blue Wizard. Um, I mean, it's, uh, uh, there are other possible candidates. Um, he could be a lieutenant of evil, but I'm not really sure. Um, anyway, um, uh, so, but yeah, I still think by default until proven otherwise, I think he's a, I think he's a wizard and probably one of the blue wizards. But anyway, um, I am, I, I could see therefore a kind of, like a pre-Gandalfian tradition, right? Uh, a kind of backstory that helps to explain why Gandalf takes an interest in the Shire folk initially, right? Um, because this sort of tradition that, uh, um, that kind of passes down, um, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, yeah. So all right, yeah. So all right, you know, I am monitoring the chat. Uh, uh, apologies um, uh, to folks. Let's see. Um, oh man, uh, any question? Any anecdote from Celebrimbor or Elrond actors? Yeah, Celebrimbor. Uh, Charles Edwards was one of the ones I didn't get uh, much of a chance to talk to. I did get two chances. So I had the lunch, which I described, and then also, and this was quite unexpected to me, um, they came to the uh, the torn part of the Wondering.net party uh, on Friday night. The all, all the cast did, um, and they did like, a, like an autograph uh, um, line basically, which I got to go through again. So I got to go through the whole line and say hi to all of them, which I was really excited about because it means I got to see some of them that I didn't get to meet at all um, at the lunch because they were three people down from me and I couldn't, I couldn't talk to them. Um, uh, but I didn't get to talk to Charles Edwards again. I, I mean, I did get to shake his hand and say hi, but we didn't have much, much conversation before that. Um, uh, so no, I didn't get anything really about Celebrimbor. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, so, um, what was I going to say? But there were several others that I got to see. The second, uh, uh, Charlie Vickers, uh, who's great, uh, who plays Hal Brandt, um, he was, uh, uh, he was a very enthusiastic person that I didn't get to see at the lunch and got to, and got to talk to there. Um, uh, Sophia, who plays, uh, Disa, uh, the dwarf princess, um, uh, she was really, really cool um, and uh, teased me outrageously uh, for the, uh, uh, the Colbert name drop uh, <laughs> earlier in the day. Um, um, yeah, so, yeah, Meteor Man. Um, not only do I believe that Meteor Man is not Sauron, um, I don't think 
we've seen Sauron at all. I don't think we're going to see Sauron at all. Um, it's really funny how everyone's like, that's Sauron. No, no, that's Sauron. No, no, that's Sauron. Uh, none of them are Sauron. I don't think any of them are Sauron. Um, I think that what we're seeing in season one is the rise of Sauron. So you may remember if you, you know, especially I'm thinking about the letter that Gilgalad wrote in the Aldarion and Arendis story published in Unfinished Tales. Um, he talks about a new power rising, right? That, the, that uh, you know, a shadow is growing in Middle-earth again. That's the thing that the elves notice, right? The things that they perceive. Well, what does that mean, right? This doesn't just mean that Sauron personally himself is physically taking form. You know, when they talk about his power rising, they don't mean there's a guy down there and he's getting stronger, right? I mean, that's true, but it means more than that, right? It clearly means more than that. It means his influence, right? His, um, uh, his control, uh, his military might, right? All of these things um, were, are, are growing. So what I think is, and I'm conjecturing here, let me note, um, no insider information here. This is me drawing conclusions uh, from the, tra the same trailers that you've seen. Uh, I believe that what we're going to be seeing in season one. Okay, hang on. I got a little bit of a disclaimer to add to that, but let me finish my statement first. What we're going to be seeing in season one is the rise of Sauron. The evidence that Sauron is not only himself taking shape and preparing to, uh, you know, begin his campaign, um, but that he is, um, he has been putting into place his pawns, right? His pieces. He has much more to do than simply, you know, be like, I am Sauron, the new dark lord, uncloaked, right? There's, there's, there's a lot more to it than that. Um, and I think that that's what we're going to be seeing. I think we're going to be seeing him deploy his, um, his lieutenants. Um, so here's my... Here's my own projected version of the um, uh, of the the Sauron storyline, basically. That Sauron is so that the first stage of his rise to power, the first stage of the Sauron rollout, right? And I don't mean the film's rollout of Sauron. I mean Sauron's rollout of his power, right? The first rollout of Sauron's power um, is his increasing influence, his bringing the orcs under his control, right? Because remember, they were scattered, right? Um, so he's got he's to find and he's got to bring the orcs back under his power, right? He's going to be trying to influence folks in Harad, in Rune, right? The, in, you know, in the, in the south and the east, those are his big recruiting fields, right? And he's got a lot of work to do there um, in order to infiltrate those societies and in order to begin the not just recruitment process, like run away from home and instead of joining the circus, you're going to join the evil armies of Sauron, right? It's not just that, um, but he's actively setting out to corrupt these societies, right? Um, to morally degrade the people individually and the cultural practices on the whole so that um, he can bring them to a place where they're willing to march alongside orcs and not feel moral conflict about that, right? Um, so, you know, he wants to bring the people of Rune and Harad to the place where they're not sitting and having that uncomfortable uh, realization, am I one of the baddies, right? Like, that's, that's exactly what he doesn't want to happen. Um, uh, 
Bjarne Sonner says, hey, season, uh, Silm Film Season 5's frame. Oh, yes, indeed. See, uh, Silm Film Season 5 frame. Let me just say, I think we kind of nailed it. I, I'm just saying, I think we kind of nailed Or at least that... Um, they're thinking in similar ways uh, to the ways that we were about that. Um, speaking of uh, season five's frame, Bjarne Soner, um, the, uh, the uh, Slim Shady uh, uh, figure in the recent trailer, um, whom I do not, that's not Anatar. I, 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 don't, I don't have inside information, I'm just telling you. I, it's, that's not Sauron. There's no way. Um, do not expect to see Sauron in uh, any of these trailers that we're going to see. I don't think we're going to see Sauron at all in season one again, because I think he's still behind the scenes. He's still in man behind the curtain mode. This is my reading, right? That he's still in man behind the curtain mode in season one. Um, and he's moving all of these things forward. And then once the groundwork has been laid, then he takes the pivotal, crucial step in his plan, which he's going to undertake himself. And that's, of course, the Rings of Power gambit, right? The corruption um, of Celebrimbor and uh, uh, Gilgalad, ideally, right? He wants to, he wants to, because those are the chief centers of resistance, right? Um, the elf lords that are there in Middle-earth. And um, so I believe that in season two, Sauron's going to go all, leave them to me, I shall deal with them myself, right? And that's when he's going to undertake the Anatar Gambit once his lieutenants have gotten the main thing, um, uh, the main thing in place. Um, uh, ZS Gamer, uh, uh, Zach's asking, can they even use the Anatar name? Um, yeah, they get permission. Sure, they could use it. Um, they have to get permission, of course. But, and this is, I don't know, I've been talking about this a lot. I was just talking about this at the Comic-Con panel I was on on Sunday. Um, brief side note, brief sidebar on the rights. Um, take home message. Stop worrying about the rights. Just stop. Stop worrying about it. It's not a big deal, right? Um, uh, permissions relationships like this are an ongoing relationship between the creative team doing the, ad the adaptation and the creative, so there's like the creative people and the legal people, right, that work for like the estate and for Middle Earth Enterprises and, and that kind of thing. Um, HarperCollins, who has the text copyright. Um, so there's, there's the people who set up the contracts, right? And then there are the people, the team who work with the creative team, right? And that's an ongoing discussion back and forth. In order to get the, in order to like tell the story of Aldarion and Arendis, for instance, right? They would have to have uh, rights to like, you know, uh, uh, adaptation rights to um, unfinished Tales, right? But to allude to things from Unfinished Tales, like the name Anatar, right? Um, all they need is permission for that. And they can request that permission. And, the, you know, the estate uh, has it in its power to grant that permission if they want to, right? Now, there are going to be lines they're going to draw, right? And, okay, no, you can't tell that story because that's, that's a core element of Unfinished Tales and you don't have those rights, so no. Um, yes, you can allude to that. It's no big deal. This kind of thing happens all the time, right? And a lot of fans seem to want to be lawyering this for some reason, right? Like, they said they only have the appendices, so they can't do this. They can do this. Um, if they're doing it, then it means they've gotten permission from the estate. So just chill out. Like, you haven't noticed something that the Tolkien estate missed, I think. Right. I, I, I'm sure that the Tolkien estate also noticed that these things are in unfinished tales. And, you know, people 
have been very open. Like I said, my conversation with Lloyd Owen about the Notion Club papers and um, and uh, 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 the Lost Road, right? Like that's pretty far outside the appendices, and yet you know it's all um, it's all sort of there. So again, they they can. They can get permission. I don't know what they have gotten permission for entirely. We'll, we'll kind of see that as we go along. But um, uh, anyway, okay. Um, so, right, anyway, so like I said, I think it's gonna be, my prediction is gonna be that it's gonna be in season two that Sauron is himself gonna step out of the shadows and put on his Anatar face. And then he's gonna go out and go after the Elf Kings because he's not gonna trust his lieutenants to do that. Right. So again, Bjornason are thinking about the film film season five frame, right? Um, the Slim Shady figure, um, you know, that uh, the, 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 the creepy blonde uh, evil person, uh, per- personage uh, in, uh, uh, in the most recent trailer, whom I loved, by the way. I thought, thought that person was super creepy. Um, I loved the leaf thing. Oh, man, like the blowing leaf and the flames. So cool. Um, uh, but anyway, I think that that person is uh, from the other shot that we get of her up on the cliff side with the like robes and the staff and everything looking like a cult priestess kind of thing, which is very, um, very much in line with Tolkien's reflections on this. He talked a lot about uh, Tolkien establishing or Tolkien about Sauron establishing a cult. Right. Um, uh, a cult of Morgoth, a cult to himself, you know, that kind of changes here and there. Probably a cult of Morgoth, because that's certainly what he's going to be using in Numenor. Um, I think he shifts to cult of Sauron ex- more explicitly uh, in the Third Age. But anyway, um, so this kind of cult worship, um, uh, this kind of cult worship uh, thing that he, ha- that he has going on there, um, th- that seems, and so again, in you know, again, not to brag or anything, but in the frame to season five of the Silmarillion Film Project, um, that's exactly how we played it too. And we had a female mouth of Sauron um, who was uh, the high, we, we, we decided that we were going to say the mouth of Sauron was not a, not a personal name, um, but a title. Um, the title for like like the, the high priestess, the high priest slash priestess um, of, uh, of, of Sauron in this, in this, in this cult. Um, and we had a female mouth of Sauron who was, you know, uh, before the one that we meet, n- not the same one, like the predecessor of the one that we meet at the Black Gate that in, in our film film story. Um, but anyway, I was, you know, so, uh, you know, Nick, um, I'm not sure if you're watching this today, Nick Palazzo and uh, uh, Marie Prosser and Dave Kale, uh, my, my uh, partners in the film film project. Um, I, it looked to me like they were thinking along exactly those lines. That's how I take that figure. I think they're all lieutenants. Um, I don't think any single one of them. Uh, is going to be is going to be Sauron. Um, okay. All right. Um, whew. All right. Uh, I'm. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Another question. We have so many questions, and I'm sorry I'm missing a bunch. I'm going to try to scroll back, um, but um, uh, but. I, sorry, there's a lot of comments to keep up with. Okay, so uh, the Witch King was asking, is it true there was a potential Melkor footage in the exclusive clips at Comic-Con? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, there was. Um, of all of the things that I have seen, the one clip that 
I think has me more excited for this show than anything else I've seen was in that exclusive footage. And it was, you've doubtless heard of it before now, um, but they're showing the darkening of Valinor. They show the poisoning of the trees. Um, and so take, for instance, uh, that's a really, that's a really gutsy scene to film, right? And I say gutsy because, man, it would be so easy to get that wrong, you know? So easy to make that look campy. Again, you talk about scenes that you don't want to drag down, right? You don't want to make mundane. I mean, I can talk about your mythic moments in the history of Middle-earth, right? The darkening of Valinor and the destruction of the trees. Ooh, man, right? And then Melkor and Ungoliant. So um, let, me, um, let me explain. Let me illustrate this. And I don't mean this, goodness knows, as any insult. Ted Naismith is one of my favorite... Um, Tolkien artists. I love his work. I use his work all over the place. Um, I, I, a huge, huge fan. Um, I don't know if you've seen his treatment of the darkening of the trees, um, but he does a, he has a painting where he represents Morgoth there with his spear and Ungoliant there in the trees. And it's, it's a, it's a really cool image. The trees are especially gorgeous. I, almost nobody does landscapes better than Ted Naismith, and especially buildings. Oh my goodness. He's actually um, was trained and still works as an architectural um, uh, artist. Um, so there's a reason for that. But anyway, he's fantastic. However, when you look at his painting, when you actually depict Morgoth standing there in armor with a spear, he just looks like a guy, right? A guy in fancy dress, right? with a big impressive spear, surely. But, you know, he's just a guy. And Ungoliant, when you depict her like that, she's gotta be some size or other, right? And she looks like the size of like a pony or something, right? And that's very big for a spider and very impressive and everything, whatever. Um, but, um, but anyway, it's really, really hard um, to depict those things, to put those things on camera, put giant spider Ungoliant on camera, put Morgoth holding spear on camera next to tree glowing with light on camera and not have it look, you know, run of the mill, right? Every day. Uh, not every day, maybe. It's not every day you see a spider the size of a pony, but you know what I mean, right? You know what I mean? That it's um, sometimes capturing something visually takes it down, right? Um, it loses its purely mythic qualities that it has in the text. And that would be hard to lose, right? So, we didn't see Ungoliant. There is a little shadow at the bottom of the screen in this one clip, which looks like it might be like Ungoliant's back as she's entering into the frame. Um, but, uh, but I'm not sure because um, uh, you've got the trees and they're gorgeous. I mean, you see, saw them in the trailer, right? You get the trees and they're gorgeous. And you just see the blackness spreading up the trunk and then out the branches and the light begins to go out from bottom to top. The light begins to go out. And then there is this shadow in the clouds arching over them. The shadow of the shoulders and head and crown of Morgoth 
sort of looming in and looming over the whole scene. And oh, man, I was, the thing that got me about that is I was like, they did it. Like they, that shot really for me captured not just a dramatic interpretation of it, right? Not just like, hey, let's, um, let's show this scene as if we got a video camera live, right? Taking shots of this, but instead they captured, I think in that shot, for me anyway, they captured that mythic resonance of that scene, right? Um, they succeeded in making it larger than life. And I was, uh, that's, so if there's one thing that I saw um, that got me excited, that was the thing I got that got me excited. That was the thing that I saw that got me excited because, man, um, if they can pull that off. Um, I was just talking earlier today with someone else about this. Um, one of the challenges that they have, I think, if, if, the, if the show's going to go well, one of the things they're going to need to do is they're going to need to maintain and establish that mythic framework, right? As we know, the characters of the Second Age, Elendil and Gilgalad and, and Celebrimbor, are larger-than-life characters, right? Those are the mythic characters that loom behind the Lord of the Rings. Think of the, what we were just talking about with Aragorn before, right? And how that the figure of Elendil um, looms behind Aragorn as this mythic figure all the way through, right? Elendil. Um, we're, in this series, we're entering into that mythic backdrop, right? We're entering into the Second Age, and we're going to be looking, Gil-Galad, um, you know, earlier Galadriel, young Elrond, right? We're going to be looking these people in the eye um, in ways that we just don't when reading Of the Rings of Power in the Third Age and the Silmarillion or something like that, right? Or the appendices, for that matter. Um, so, uh, anyway, um, the challenge, therefore. Obviously, what none of us would want, I think, is for the show, despite, I mean, yeah, it's going to be cool to get to know, um, you know, Gilgalad and Celebrimbor and Elendil, but, but if all we do in the end, right, is come up alongside these mythic figures and, you know, see what they eat for breakfast and whatever, and they become in our imaginations guys, right, you know, just people, um, then that would be a loss, that would be merely a loss. Not merely a loss. There would be some gain there, right? But I'm not sure it mightn't be a net loss if that happens, right? But if they can succeed in continuing that mythic spectrum, right? That mythic continuum, right? If from the Third Age, telling the Third Age story and reading and thinking through the Third Age story, we have the Second Age characters as this mythic backdrop um, investing that later story uh, with meaning, right, uh, from, 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 the, from that mythic backdrop. And then we go into that story, and we see that story, but within that story, there's yet the mythic backdrop of the first age, right, um, that's looming behind that and informing, investing that second age story with meaning in the same kind of way that the second age story invests the third age story with meaning. Yeah then we won't lose as much, now will we? Um, it will just establish this entirely new level. And I think that's gonna be really, really, um, really, really exciting. Um, so anyway, I'm, um, uh, 
I, I have hope now. Um, I, I, I was never without hope. Uh, I mean, seeing the two trees, just that one still shot, the very first still shot they released, the one with Finrod looking out over uh, Tyrion and the, the trees in the background, um, just that alone gave me some hope that they were going to do justice to this sort of mythic quality um, of the first age in the background to the second age. But actually seeing it, um, uh, actually seeing it, I was... Um, I was really interested. Uh, I was, I was, I was even more hopeful um, than uh, uh, than than before. Um, okay, so let me um, let me go back and try to answer some other questions. Um, so many questions. Um, okay, let's see. Uh, oh, no, that's the one I just answered. Um, someone was asking about. Ah, voice of geekdom. What do I think might be going on with Theo and that sword? Um, Willie, knew better, do better on TikTok. Um, I spent a lot of time with uh, Willie this past weekend. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, Willie is 100% convinced that Theo, the boy with the sword, is, um, is going to be the Witch King. Um, I don't know that I'm quite as convinced as Willie is, but I was feeling one over, uh, as I, you know, you have to listen to, uh, New Better Do Better for the full defense of that position. Uh, I'm not, uh, uh, prepared to go to the wall on it, uh, but I'm hearing him. Uh, I do think that we are going to get, um, Nazgul backstories, of course. I think that that's gonna. I think that's gonna happen. Um, but you think that Cayman will be the Witch King? Um, it's possible. It's, it's, it's funny, um, Mister Witch King. Um, Cayman was the one who was sitting right next to um, uh, uh, Lloyd Owen at the first table I sat at at lunch, and I and he was involved in our conversation, and I felt awkward because I I, I know almost nothing about his character, of course, <clears throat> and I couldn't ask. Um, we talked about Numenor, and, and we sort of included him, you know, in our discussions of Numenor. Um, but, uh, like, I couldn't ask for spoilers, right? Um, so not knowing anything, really, about his, other than the fact that he's a Numenorian, um, I couldn't really, um, uh, I couldn't really inquire very much. So there was a, there was a bit of a wall there. Not, I mean, not, not that he was putting up, but that uh, we kind of couldn't, uh, we kind of couldn't uh, come over. Um, but... Um, yeah, um, I, uh, so I think that basically there's, um, there's three categories of people who either are bad guys or are in the line of temptation to become bad guys, right? Um, and um, those categories are people who are candidates for future uh, Nazgul, characters who are Sauron's current lieutenants, whom I don't think will be Nazgul, um, and, um, uh, and Sauron, <laughs> Sauron in various guises. Um, those are kind of the three categories, right, of, uh, of, of sort of boss bad guys here. Um, and I do think that, um, I do think that we're getting some of, some of each here. The idea that Theo is going to become an, an, a Nazgul in any case, I think is, 
is interesting, is an attractive thing. Um, that sword, what's going on with him and the sword? Dan, I'm not 100% sure. Um, it's clearly, the, the one thing that we know now, I think pretty clearly, the rune that's on the sword is the Sauron rune. Um, that's the rune that you can see it briefly in etched in frost on like the anvil. Um, when Galadriel is up in, in the cold thing, we got a shot of that um, where you can clearly see the rune of Sauron um, uh, there as kind of like a mark of his, um, a mark of his power. Um, we've seen it, I think, in other places. I'm blanking right now. I have to admit, I'm trying to be cautious because at this point, it all blurs together with all the trailers and, and, and all the other footage and stuff. Like, there are still occasionally, there's still some things that I was shown in the preview, um, the preview event in May in London that I'm not supposed to talk about and I forget like what's where. So I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to be careful, but I might make mistakes. Um, anyway, um, so, um, yeah, um, oh, JJ says, uh, Elendil's daughter, dead or Nazgul? Um, Highlander wins, has got $20 on Nazgul. Um, uh, I could see it. I could see it. Um, yeah, I wonder, right? Yeah, Merlin's parent says, dead or Nazgul sounds like a drinking game. It'd be a long-term drinking game, right? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, dead or Nazgul. Um, but... Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, I, I, it's, um, it's, yeah, whether that rune is, it, the rune may be associated with Morgoth, Alex, but it's definitely, um, immediately associated with Sauron. Like I said, it may be like an homage to Morgoth, um, but, um, it's, um, it's a Sauron thing. I, okay. <laughs> Let me stop talking about that because maybe I'm alluding to a scene that hasn't been shown publicly yet. I don't know. Um, man, I just can't wait till this show comes out and we can just talk about what's there and um, um, not have to worry about all this stuff uh, uh, anymore. But anyway, um, uh, okay, so um, cool. Let's see. Uh, let's see. Other, um, yeah, I don't, I don't believe that the stranger's a bad guy. I don't. Um, I think that, you know, the whole like well of fire and, uh, uh, you know, which kind of like vaguely looks like the eye of Sauron or whatever. I think that's misdirection. Um, there's a lot of misdirection. Um, just remember that the rampant speculation all over the Internet, you know, is it Sauron and all the jokes about everybody being Sauron. And that's um, that's what winning looks like. Right. If you're on the marketing team. Um, so, yeah, that's the goal. Right. That's the fun of the trailers to be asking questions like this. I, I, uh, I, I, uh, I enjoy that kind of thing. Um, but there's really um, one has to be careful with trailers. Right. Um, uh, so I think that that's a bit of misdirection. Um, but uh, uh, but yeah, we'll um, um, we'll see. Um, and yes. And that's, of course, the thing, like, it, you know, um, if they know that we know 
that they know that we know, then they might be, I mean, you can, you know, you can start going in that direction, right? That like, he's really evil, because it looks too on the nose, right? Like it's so obvious that the dude who falls in fire would be Sauron, right? So it can't be Sauron, except maybe it will be Sauron because they know that it looks too obvious. And so they won't think that, they, they will think, you know, as soon as you start going in this direction, right, you're going in circles forever. Um, but, um, but anyway, I, I, so you never can tell, but I, my money, as I say, is on, is on Blue Wizard there. Um, yes, Alex is asking, and thank you. That's another question that somebody was asking earlier on as well. Um, uh, do I, did I get the read on how big a Tolkien nerd Rob Arameo is? Huge, absolutely huge. Um, we had a great talk, a couple great talks actually and I look forward he's uh there's several members of the cast that I'm really hoping to stay in touch with him by the way several that I'm hoping I already asked Charlie Vickers you know he said he watched the show I'm like you gotta come on the show and he's like okay also I met a few other people I met one of the art directors and one of the writers from the writer's room as well which I'm hoping to bring on to this show as well um so we're definitely going to have uh some folks there's even a non-zero chance uh that I could get uh, uh Patrick and JD to come on uh and talk with us later they're busy just now but um a little bit later um but um anyway um uh so yeah but rob arameo is definitely one of the one of the guys that i am really excited uh to talk to more uh and to to really kind of continue um that uh that relationship because um he is such an enthusiastic tolkien fan um he i loved his reflections on Elrond's character. Here's the coolest thing that Rob Arameo said uh, to me about Elrond when we were talking about Elrond. He was, as I said, across from me at lunch, so that was really cool. And um, um, the coolest thing that he said was, he said, remember that right now, like in, in, the, uh, in the second age, Elrond is never gonna be closer than he is now to the choice that he made, the choice of the half-elven. In the second age, Elrond, is trying to, what does it mean to be half-elven? No one's ever done this before, right? And yeah, his brother did too, briefly, right? Much more briefly, but here he is left trying to figure it out. Where does he fit? What is his role, right? What is his calling and job? And then not only that, but the proximity to the tragedies. When asked, um, and I think he said this in the panel, uh, this, this latter thing, um, when asked, you know, like how you think of the character, you know, what things do you associate with the character of Elrond? He said, orphan. Um, and uh, I, 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 that's right. That's absolutely right. You know, he's, um, um, later on he's going to be other things too, like widower and one grieving for losing his daughter, uh, uh, you know, bereaved parent. Um, he'll, be, he'll be many other cheerful things too later on. Um, but right now, orphan. Um, he's lost his parents. He's lost his brother. And he is in a sense alone in the world. No, he's not alone. Um, he has a relationship with Galadriel with whom he's related. He has a relationship with Gilgalad, right? He's not, he's not by himself, right? Um, but trying to, trying to figure out who he is, what he is, even again, what does it mean to be half elven? Um, what is that, um, um, what is that, where does that put you uh, in Middle-earth? I think that's a brilliant question. 
Um, and I love the fact that Robert Romeo is really thinking about Elrond in those terms. Um, so I, that was a really, really fun conversation that we had about Elrond. Um, we talked a lot about loss and uh, the, the way in which um, Elrond, uh, Goadriel probably has lost more, uh, I think, maybe, um, by that time, but he's going he's gonna to pass her. Uh, in the grief department, I think, by the end of the Third Age. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, he was raised by people who killed his friends and family, too. Nameless Arcanum, yes, he was. And then he lost them, too, right? So he is, well, not raised by, but he lives for a while, right? Uh, a substantial while, years, um, with, uh, with Mithros and Maglor, um, with whom he, and, and love grows between them. Right, even though they're like the Feanorians who participated in the kin slaying, um, and as far as they knew, killed his, you know, uh, I mean, it's 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 not good, right? Um, but yet we're told that you know Tolkien says that love grows between them, and then he loses them too, right? Um, so anyway, uh, it's um, it's. There's a lot. There's a lot there. And again, fascinated to hear about the, you know, so we didn't talk much about like the, the sort of the political scene or, you know, the jobs that Elrond has to do. I mean, we couldn't really talk about all that stuff. We're not supposed to, we weren't supposed to talk about uh, spoilers, but thinking about um, the context of the uh, character, um, it was... Um, uh, it was really, it was really good. I had a, a fun conversation with Morvith Clark. I have um, uh, my, it's one of my only regrets from that luncheon was Morvith Clark's voice in that room, big room, big echoey room, lots of people talking very excitedly all around us. She was very hard for me to hear. I don't know how much of it was my hearing. Um, some, well, like her voice was pitched at, you, you know, how some people are almost impossible to hear at parties because of the, the, like the pitch of their voice just like blends into the background noise really well. That was kind of Morvith Clark, Clark's voice. Um, so I, uh, there were a bunch of times when she was talking, when I was like hanging on her words and I didn't want, like, I kept like leaning further and further forwards and I'm like, I hope she doesn't think I'm being creepy or something here. Uh, but I'm just like, just to try to, to try to hear her in that room uh, was really challenging. Um, but um, uh, but anyway, she uh, uh, she was uh, she was a lot of fun. She was, um, you know, talking about you know, when we were talking about Goandriel, um, she was emphasizing, um, you know, she she was talking about sort of working through the Goandriel stories and the fact that clearly you know, as, as is plain, you know, misdirection aside, as is pl very plain from the trailers, has been quite explicit in the trailers, that Goadriel is clearly the central locus of the memory of the tragic events of the first age, right? Um, the PTSD, right? PTSD, Goadriel is very much what they are depicting. Um, another... Just saying, film film season four, um, yet another way in which the film film team has been thinking very similarly to uh, 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 to the showmakers. Um, but um, uh, anyway, it was um, you know she was kind of talking about you know really kind of thinking through and working through 
that with Goadriel um, and uh, how, um, how important that was, how powerful uh, that was. And I think that that's really, um, uh, I, I think that that's really, that's really important. Um, but um, anyway, uh, she, <laughs> she told a fun story. Her dad is a big Tolkien fan. And she said that like, you know, um, her dad has been pretty uh, chill about her involvement in the show. Um, but she said that like when, because um, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about the, the, the movie tie-in book covers, right? They just released the, the new uh, Lord of the Rings book uh, covers, you know, the show tie-in uh, covers, which, which are the hand pictures, right? Um, and her hand picture uh, is, on, um, uh, is on the Fellowship of the Ring. And, uh, you know, she said, like, you know, she's like, my dad has not been, you know, emotional about me being cast as Galadriel or anything like that. But when he saw his daughter's hand on the cover of the Fellowship of the Ring, of, of, on the cover of the book, he, she was like, he got a little emotional <laughs> then. Um, but uh, uh, anyway, um, uh, so yeah, uh, she was uh, uh, she was she was uh, she was great. Um, Daniel Wyman was really interesting man. I kind of feel for him again. He's the guy who plays the stranger, and um, uh, he was you know we we're talking with him about how hard it is for him um, because of like all the people on the cast. He's the one guy who I like, can't talk about his character at all. Right. You know, I mean, I can't say anything about his character. And it's really kind of isolating. Um, the way that he the way that he talked about it um, was he said, you know, I have spent a lot of time now really kind of spending time with, you know, the journey that my character goes on. Um, and I think that it's a journey that a lot of people are going to be very interested in. Um, but uh, and he's like, I just can't wait finally to be able to for others to be able to share that journey with me because he can't, he can't tell anybody about anything. Um, I mean, he was joking that like even his friends and family, um, you know, are teasing him because, you know, they're like, you're in the show, right? And he's like, yeah. And they're like, who do you play? And he's like, the stranger. And they're like, so a bit part then, right? You're an extra essentially. And he's like, no, it's not an extra. The stranger is a big character. And like, doesn't sound like a big character. And like, so he was talking about all the teasing he's been getting about that, but it's like clearly legitimately hard. Like he's the one guy who can't answer any question, you know? Um, like it's one thing to say that, uh, you, you know, Robert Romero can't, can't, can't give spoilers about what Elrond is going to do in the series, but he can at least talk about Elrond, right? And, and his history. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, um, anyway, sorry, let me pause. Some people asking, this is a live set uh, behind me here. Um, I'm joining you live from Studio Lab in Derry, New Hampshire. This is a real video recording studio. Um, what you're seeing, the lights that you see up there are on the, um, the big 3D video wall uh, that they have here. Um, the cameras and table that you see in the foreground there um, are uh, uh, live. Uh, sets. You can see um, uh, some camera work being done there, the person actually running the camera and all that kind of thing. Um, and I'm here because uh, we are preparing, in fact, what is being filmed uh, live right there behind me um, is uh, uh, some shots for the opening, uh, sort of the, the opening sequence 
of the new show that I'm going to be doing in the fall uh, in conjunction with the Rings of Power show. Um, this is not an Amazon production. We're producing this ourselves. And uh, it's going to be an analysis show. I'm going to be, after each episode of the show, I'm going to be releasing an analysis show where we do a kind of a deep lore talk, a discussion of the episode and the story and the characters and then their relationship with the lore. Um, those are things that we're going to be doing. I'm not going to be releasing that show immediately afterwards. It's not designed to be a kind of quick turnaround show. Um, it's going to be uh, a, deep, a deep lore dive show. Uh, and so it's going to be released later. Um, we're planning to, not like months later, it's going to be released like uh, maybe Wednesday, Thursday, the week after uh, the show. So you'll get the show on, the, 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 the episodes are going to drop on Fridays. Um, and so you get to watch the show on Fridays. You can react and you can, um, you know, you can kind of sort through your emotions or whatever uh, about the, about this, you know, watch it, get a chance to watch it a few times. Uh, and then you'll be able to tune in uh, to uh, the art analysis show there, which is not going to be live. That's going to be recorded. Um, uh, it's going to be recorded over over there um, on the uh, the big 3D in front of the big 3D digital screen, uh, which is really fun. Um, so anyway, I'm really excited. Uh, uh, many many thanks to the good folks here at Studio Lab uh, for working with me on this. Uh, They're really excited to uh, do some uh, do some Tolkien discussion and stuff. Um, so yeah, so I'm here today talking with them, and I'm like, I'll just do. Let's do other minds and hands from here. Um, so that's also why my picture is different and my lighting is more interesting because I'm not in the basement of my house today. Uh, I am in an actual movie studio with actual <laughs> professional equipment uh, here. So anyway, that's um, uh, uh, that's what um, um, that's what we're. That's what's happening here today for those who have uh, who have who have questions. Sort of like exploring the rings of power, though not quite so slow moving. Zach, I think is uh, is 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 what we're doing. Um, and uh, Chobo, I'm just going to be releasing it on um, uh, on our YouTube channel. Um, so we'll continue doing other minds and hands as a live show. I think during the thing. I think I'm not sure what the plans are, but because we'll want to do some you know Q and A and discussion, live discussion as well. But um, but we'll definitely be releasing the videos on our YouTube channel, um, uh, recorded videos. So, um, okay. So, ah, what's the name uh, of the show? Well, uh, what's your name? Kaliriel? Um, Kaliriel, I don't know. Any suggestions? I'm totally open to suggestions. I'm brainstorming. I'm still in the brainstorming phase about what the show's going to be. Um, so, um, happy, happy to, uh, to take... Uh, to take suggest. Um, but um, anyway, so yeah, <laughs> make with the suggestions. I'm ready to receive them. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, great. Let's see. Let me go to uh, more questions. I'm sort of scrolling way back to look at other questions that I got. Um, uh, okay. Um, Okay, other questions. Um, what do I think of the dialogue so far from the trailers and scenes, um, especially considering what the showrunners have said about the meter? Uh, Kim, you asked that question a while back. Um, I, 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 I like it so far. I mean, we've seen some dialogue. I, I mean, I've seen several scenes, uh, full scenes. So I've gotten a, I've gotten a glimpse of the dialogue. Um, uh, it's hard. Because I've got you know that much. I've seen, you know, maybe twenty 
plus minutes of footage, so it's hard to get a, a real sense of it. Um, but um, anyway, it's. Um, but here's what here's here's an example of what I like. If you go to the trailer, not the recent trailer, not the full trailer, the teaser trailer before that, the one that dropped on I think it was the 14th of July. Um, go to that trailer and listen to the first four lines of the trailer. Um, and the first four lines of the trailer are in iambic tetrameter with rhyme. But almost nobody noticed that, right? That is boss right there, right? Um, Patrick said this when I met him in May, you know, Patrick said that they were working to associate particular forms of poetic meter, um, especially at high moments, important moments, um, which would be different for different, like different meters uh, for different characters in different places. That was, I told you guys before, that's kind of what made me tear up a little bit uh, when, I was, uh, when, I was, when I was listening to that. Um, and we're seeing it. I mean, we're hearing it uh, already in the trailers even. Um, uh, so yeah, it's, it's the lines that, uh, uh, it's the lines that Galadriel and, um, uh, uh, Gilgalad say, um, in that, in the opening of that trailer. Um, and yeah, shout out to James Tauber for noticing the, the, the iambic tetrameter. Yeah. James brought it to my attention. James brought it to my attention. It's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, James Tauber from the Digital Tolkien Project. Um, yeah. I mean, oh man, like that is, that is some, uh, it's not just using meter. You know, meter's not that hard to do. But to use meter and have it not sound really stilted, um, such that it's obvious to people that you're, so it doesn't sound like doggerel, basically, you know, like a, you know, simplistic, bouncy, obvious poem. You know, like uh, when people are doing like roses are red, violets are blue parodies, you know what I mean? Like that's doggerel, right? Um, but uh, anyway, Oof. Um, yeah. So, so far, I mean, again, we'll see, right? I mean, it's going to be hard to see um, until we get, um, until we get more. But, uh, oh man. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, I, I found that a very encouraging, a very encouraging sign, right? If they can, if they can, if they can pull that off. Um, anyway, um, uh, because yeah, that's, Tolkien does that kind of thing all the time. Um, have his speakers sort of slide into meter, and most readers don't even notice it. I mean, not the poems, like the indented poems, you know, in the text, but just in their, in their talk. Um, you can hear it and feel it. The most obvious example, of course, is Tom Bombadil. Everything Tom Bombadil says is in the meter of his song, of his poems. Everything, like all of his dialogue, um, follows exactly the same meter and pattern. But most readers don't notice that, right? Tolkien's so, um, so skillful at working that meter in that you can hear it when you read it aloud, right? But you can't, but you, you know, you generally, it doesn't, it doesn't warp it, you know, for people. Um, and if they can pull that off, that speaks highly to me uh, of their skill as writers. So um, anyway, that's, um, 
That's where we are. Nick, yeah, exactly. I'm on the set of Film Film. We're, we're going live here in a little bit. No, not exactly. Just a joke. Next, uh, don't worry, uh, Tolkien Estate. We're not producing Film Film yet. Yet. But anyway, um, yeah, yeah, that's exactly where I am. I'm, I'm live on set here. Um, actual filming uh, going on here in the background. Um, I, might, uh, I might post some little spoilers later on. We'll see. Little, uh, little, little behind-the-scenes shots. Um, they're actually shooting um, shots from the, from the intro sequence uh, for the new show, uh, the new analysis show we're going to be doing. But anyhow, okay, all right. Um, uh, uh, what was I going to... Oh, yeah, uh, we were talking about poetry. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, so um, let me go back for some other questions. Uh, scrolling back for other questions. And by the way, if you have questions you want me to answer, if you put the word question in all caps at the start, it will help me be able to scroll through and see because there's a whole bunch. Um, uh, let's see. 89 Ravenwolf was saying, what do I think of the ice imagery used with that, uh, um, that Sauron, with that symbol, Sauron symbol on the rock when Sauron is usually just fire and Morgoth is fire slash ice? Um, I don't think that I, the ice thing is going to be a pervasive Sauron thing. I don't think that they're like redoing Sauron as like the ice dude or anything. That's more um, about that place. Um, that seems to be the place where that Galadriel was climbing up the ice wall to get to. Um, and we don't know what it is. Um, I, um, in my heart of hearts, I hope that what that place is, is Utumno. That's in my heart of hearts, what I hope it is. I don't know if it is. I don't know if that's what they're going to be able to tell us it is. I don't know. Um, but we know it's not Angband. Angband is, you know, like ground zero of the sinking of Beleriand. So we know it's not that. Um, but um, we... Um, uh, but Atumno was further north. Um, definitely in the far north. And... It's at least conceivable to me that Utumno escaped the drowning of Beleriand. Who knows? Who knows? Um, but um, but I think that that's uh, I think that that's possible. Um, okay, uh, let's see. Um, right, Dan says I think it's Utumno even if they don't name it. Yeah, well, if they don't name it at all, I'm going to carry on think it's, thinking it's Utumno as well. Yeah, for sure. It's very possible that um, it's very possible that. This is just like some kind of outpost, right, of, uh, of Morgoth. I'm hoping it's Utumno. And yes, Nameless Arcanum, that, um, that thing that they touch, that the rune of Sauron appears on. Um, and thank you guys for mentioning that and therefore confirming that it's public and not something I'm supposed to be not talking about. Um, it is definitely like an anvil. Like that's definitely, a, I, I, I think that that's, that's very much... Um, uh, like a place where Sauron himself was doing works. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, could the Adar character be Maglor? What is the reason? Um, and is this the reason we saw the Oath of Feanor in the trailer? Uh, first of all, that's probably, I, I think the Oath of Feanor is a wonderful guess, but, you know, Asterisk trailer, right? Who knows? Um, but um, anyway, 
So uh, did I say Angmar and I meant Angband? I apologize. If I misspoke, I apologize. Uh, Angband, of course, uh, Thangarodrum was what I was referring to. Um, apologies. Ooh, Alyssa, the straight road. It's catchy. I like it. The straight road as the title for the show. Yeah. That's kind of hot. Right? Like it's the suggesting that the show is like the connection between Middle Earth and Valinor, right? So it's like the connection between that whole, like, oh man. Man, that is, uh, uh, that is, that is gold right there. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, I did say Angband. Good, Dan. I misspeak like that all the time. Um, I, in fact, I, as I recall, I, I came just seconds away from saying that Tolkien was going around establishing cults to worship Morgoth when I meant Sauron, so I, I yeah. Um, I think that that problem is only gonna get worse as the years go by of me saying the wrong name uh, and things. Um, um, yeah, yeah, awesome. Um, okay, Raymond, I addressed the rights question earlier on. Um, I, I get, I, so I won't go over the whole thing again. Short answer is, don't worry about it. Um, the Tolkien estate, they've been working with the Tolkien estate all the way through. So like they have permission for the stuff they've done. Um, but it, but I will say, one, one last thing I'd add. One thing that's very obvious is that they are getting permission for way more than I would have ever expected. Um, let me just say, I did not expect we were going to see the death of the trees on screen, ever. <laughs> I did not think that was ever going to happen. Um, I expected to be dead and buried uh, before that could possibly have happened. Um, but... Um, but we're gonna, I mean, it happened. Uh, so it's clear that um, the estate has been very generous uh, in the exceptions. You know, I, I just, and no, this doesn't mean they're, they're lying to us and they actually have the rights to the whole Silmarillion. No, it just means they're being given permission uh, to do this. So um, yeah, anyway, okay. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, um, yep. Yeah, that was in the, um, that was in the, Nicholas, that was in the Hall H stuff. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. Um, more questions. More questions. Any insight on the veiled elf woman we've been seeing in the background of some scenes? No, actually. Um, not sure what's going on with that. Um, yeah, not, um, not, not positive. Um, uh, Yep, yep. Uh, okay, scrolling back, looking for more questions because I know I've missed a whole bunch. Um, okay, a follow-up question on Meteor Man. If we're thinking Meteor Man might be a wizard, doesn't Gandalf make the most sense meeting up with the Harfoots and all? I can't rule that out, but here's how I think about it. First, if it's a wizard, um, they're choosing... so. Tolkien stuff on the wizards is very sketchy. Um, remember that the five wizards were very brief history of wizards. Um, Treebeard says he doesn't know the history of wizards. Um, and nobody really knows the full history of wizards, but, um, but here's a little bit, right? Um, originally, when in The Hobbit, Gandalf is talking about the white wizards, right? He went to a council of the white wizards. It's clear there's like a whole like mess of them. 
Uh, wizard seems to be a, like a, a profession, more or less, that, I don't know, have some kind of guild or something, right? There's like an, a, an indeterminate but large-ish number of wizards, um, and they're the ones who get together and kick the necromancer out, um, which seems to imply that the necromancer, as like an evil wizard, is possibly a rogue member of their order, and indeed that story Tolkien did carry over into the early drafts of uh, the Lord of the Rings. Um, the Witch King was originally meant to be like one of the council of wizards who had gone rogue. It was actually kind of like the seeds of the Saruman story, actually. Um, but anyway, this changes, obviously. His thoughts, his ideas on that changed over time. Um, when did there become five wizards? When Saruman delivers his line. Right When Saruman starts yelling at Gandalf and says that Gandalf wants the rods of the five wizards, Tolkien was like, oh, so I guess there are five wizards. Tolkien did this all the time. Right, His characters would say stuff, and then he was just like, huh, who knew? Right. Um, so that was when like, there came to be five wizards. Um, and uh, um, yeah, so, um, uh, so anyway... His ideas, you know, again, kind of changed and developed around and stuff. But um, there was a version of the story when the blue wizards were said to come early in the Second Age. Um, but one of the core elements of the story, of Gandalf's story specifically, is that he came in the Third Age, that he was the last of the wizards to come, that he came sort of reluctantly. He was the, the most sort of humble and unwilling uh, in this sense of the wizards, and he came last. And you'll remember, most importantly, he gets from Cirdan, like on the dock, right? Uh, Hi, welcome to Middle Earth. Have a ring, right? He gets the ring of power from Cirdan. Um, so, this doesn't mean that they can't make that change, right? They could decide, yeah, let's 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 push Gandalf's arrival in Middle Earth back into the Second Age. There's precedent for this. Again, there, there is the earlier Second Age arrival of, um, of wizards, but um, this doesn't, but there would be an extra cost, I would say, to, um, uh, to having Gandalf be the one. Um, you'd lose that conversation with Kirtan. Obviously, if he arrives prior uh, if, he if he arrives and arrives by meteor prior to um, the forging of the rings of power, we don't get that scene, right? When and how does Gandalf get his ring? Now, it's not like that's an insuperable obstacle, right? I mean, you could, you could get over that. Um, you can come up with another story about how Gandalf gets, the, you know, gets, gets Narya later on, right? But, but still, you're losing a lot. Um, and for what gain? For what gain? Just more Gandalf? Right, uh, you know, maybe giving a, a backstory to Gandalf's connection with hobbits. Well, again, as we talked about a little bit before, I think you can still sort of um, accomplish that by um, uh, you can still sort of accomplish that by having um, uh, a wizard, right? One of the other wizards uh, connected with the Harfoots here in the Second Age, and then you know he can brief Gandalf, right? Tell Gandalf the story. Um, so um, I, I don't think we need Gandalf in this way. And frankly, I think it'd be more fun to meet another wizard. Gandalf, Gandalf has his day, right? Um, Gandalf is cool. And at the end of the day, am I going to like 
whine and complain if we get more Gandalf? No, I'm not going to whine and complain. But, you know, it's fine. It'll be fine. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, y you know, Raven Wolf, I was talking with some folks, not actors, with other content creators, um, about the possibility that Meteor Man is Saruman. Um, and it's interesting. It has some... Uh, uh, it has some potential, I think. Um, I don't, I still don't believe it. I still think it's a blue wizard. Um, and I still hope it's a blue wizard, frankly. Uh, because I think that, um, uh, I think it'd be cooler to be able to, like, discover and get to know a blue wizard. Um, and it doesn't seem to me to really fit with Saruman's character, right? Um, his interest on making things. No, it's, I know you're just being silly, Raven Wolf, but, uh, but no, we had a serious conversation about this. I mean, I think it's gotta be on the table, right? I don't believe in it, but I think it's gotta be on the table. Um, but um, yes. Okay, so Andrew um, is asking sort of a follow-up when I was talking about Sauron and Sauron, not that none of these dudes in any of these in the trailer being Sauron. Um, uh, what about the idea that all of them are Sauron in various guises? Um, I think that I love the atmosphere that that idea creates. I love the idea that like Sauron is everywhere, right? And the power of Sauron is distributed through all of these things and all of these, like, there's a sense in which his lieutenants are Sauron, are even invested directly with some of his power. Um, in that sense, yeah. But directly, no, no. Like, that, that they're all Sauron in disguise? No, no. Um, so, um, so, yeah, yeah. No, I don't think, um, I doubt that. I doubt that. Um, what role will we th will, do we think Círdan will play in the show? And more importantly, will he have a beard already in the Second Age? Um, uh, JJ, as far as the beard question, if we do see Kierden, you know what I'm hoping for? I'm hoping for a Kierden who's just like, has the rugged stubble look, right? Um, a Kierden the shipwright just beginning to experiment with facial hair. Maybe a little soul patch, I don't know, right? But um, um, uh, anyway, yeah, yeah, that's... Um, um, that's, I think, that's what's what I'm hoping for uh, facial hair-wise out of Kierden, uh, if, uh, if we do get him. Um, do we, um, will we get him? I don't know. Uh, nothing's been said about him. Um, I haven't heard a peep about Kierden. Of course, we haven't heard a peep about Kelleborn either. Um, and there's still four seasons left to go after this. Um, I wonder if Kierden the Shipwright might be alluded to, like... I bet you he gets um, talked about in season one, like, you know, by Gilgalad and Celebrimbor and others. I mean, he can't be a total mystery guy unless they're going to actually just not have him involved. But I can't see them cutting him entirely. And I think he's going to become more important when it comes to, um, you know, arrivals, right? Like, um, I'm thinking especially of, I don't know, I... I think it's unlikely that he's going to be um, omitted 
entirely. But who knows? I mean, he was in the Lord of the Rings films very briefly, right? In Jackson's defense, he was in the book very briefly, too. Uh, but uh, anyway, um, yeah. Kelleborn, though, Kelleborn is where I have... Um, uh, Kelleborn is where I have much more interest invested, right? But I wanted to bring something up again, starting to run out of time. I wanted to bring something up, the thing, and I talked about this a little bit on the live stream I did with Nerd of the Rings from the party. Um, but um, the thing that I really am excited about, um, one of the things uh, in the trailer, the thing that I was most excited by in the trailer was the Palantir. Um, when Muriel uncovers the Palantir in the trailer, um, first of all, the, um, the room just exploded, right? Um, we saw this first, um, the content creator saw it first uh, in a private room, about 30 of us. Uh, oh man, like we just, room blew up when the Palantir was revealed. And, so did my brain, right? Because it went like this. Um, first of all, Tolkien never talks about the Palantiri in the Akalabeth, right? But there's a reason for that. Um, and the reason is that he invented the Palantiri while he was writing the later stages of The Lord of the Rings. Um, he needed to retcon the Palantir back into Numenor, but he didn't. He never got around to that, right? So... The um, series of, like the rapid series, I, I felt like I could like, like, like my head must have gotten warm, right? From like the, <laughs> the snapping of synapses in this like frozen moment of time as like the little wrapping cloth, you know, fell down and Galadriel put her hand on the, on the Palantir in that clip in the trailer. I was just like, you know, this like really, really rapid chain of thought of like, well, of course, of course the Numenorians would have the Palantiri. Well, that's where they came from, right? And of course, they would use them. But how will they use them? And how will that change the story? Tolkien never thought that through. Like, again, he didn't retcon that, right? And so, of course, like, yes, they would be able to search. You know, if Galadriel is concerned that evil is lurking in, uh, in Middle-earth, what would she do? Like, walk around until she found it? No, she would go to Numenor and look in the Palantir, right? Like, hey, can I get, can I get an overhead view of this, right? Can I, can I, oh my goodness. Um, uh, so I, yeah, and, and, and the possibilities, right? What they're going to do, how they're going to handle that in the story, right? Man, I was just, so yeah, um, I still don't know exactly where that's headed exactly, Um but, yeah, I am fascinated to think through that and to think through what that's uh, what that's gonna what that's gonna look like. Um, uh, Ibrahim is asking, do I think it's possible they would uh, make a sort of copy of Luthien and the Luthien and Baron story out of Arondir and Bronwyn with their forbidden elf human love, etc.? Uh, no, I don't think it's going to be Baron and Luthien. I mean. Almost every elf-human relationship has echoes to Baron and Luthien, and you can't help that. Like, nobody can help that. Like, it's inescapable. Uh, Baron and Luthien is the archetype of uh, elf-human relationships, so that's going to be there. It's going to happen, but no, I don't think so. Um, 
keep in mind, there have been a bunch of people who are like, they can't do that. There are only three elf relationship, elf human relationships in Tolkien. They can't just invent another one. Dude, there were more than three. There were three, there were three that panned out, right? But there are more that don't pan out. Um, you know, we've got, uh, we've got several elf human romantic interests other than the big three. Um, big three, of course, being Baron and Luthien, um, uh, Idril and Tuor and Aragorn and Arwen, of course. Um, we get, we get bunches of them, in fact. Uh, they're, they're comparatively, um, uh, uh, um, you know, many of them on the ground. Um, you've got Andreth and Ignor, which doesn't pan out. You've got, um, Finduilas and Turin, which doesn't pan out. You've got Nellas in Turin. Turin was like the elf chick magnet. Elf had, he had, Turin had two elf women uh, who were interested in him uh, romantically. Um, and then, of course, we have um, Blood Ill-Tempered. Even if you're only thinking about unions, we've got exactly as JJ just said, Prince Imrahil's ancestors. Um, so that it's not, those three are not even the only instances of human elf baby making, in fact. Um, uh, now, that relationship didn't exactly pan out either, uh, but it panned out to the extent of, uh, of uh, uh, reproduction. So there you go. A uh, certain degree of success. Um, not Nimrodel, Tomas, that I believe to be a slander, um, but one of Nimrodel's uh, handmaidens or something. Yes, yes. Um, You've got, yes, praise, exactly, the, uh, the rumor of Took ancestors, right? Now, that's absurd. It's absurd to think that the Tooks, uh, one of the Tooks took a fairy wife. Um, but, you know, the story exists for a reason. The story doesn't just exist because Baron and Luthien fell in love once upon a time. It happens. It's a thing, right? Um, but again, it doesn't pan out generally. So um, I do not at all think that Arondir and Bronwyn, the whole Arondir and Bronwyn thing is inappropriate or not in keeping with Tolkien's themes. It just makes me think, um, well, I wouldn't necessarily, you know, be making long-term plans for them, is all I'm saying, right? Uh, I am anticipating, I just, I just not, not inside knowledge, not inside knowledge, just speculation, um, but... Um, I wouldn't like. Uh, I wouldn't be starting to pick China patterns if I were them. Is what I'm saying. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah. Um, Carinthia and Lady Haleth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. There was definitely some some chemistry there, don't you think? <laughs> Jedi Knight. What a what a dorky joke that is, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Making a joke about Carinthia and Lady Haleth. That is, a, that is a deep cut uh, piece of Tolkien humor right there. Um, but, um, but anyway, Keith, this is actually why I didn't totally hate Keely and Toriel. I've said this many times before. Like, I was, I mean, again, it was awful the way it, with the whole, all, I mean, it, the execution was dreadful. Um, but conceptually, I, you know, there were things I liked about it. There really were. But, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, let's see. Um, 
Ooh, Bernard, I've been talking a lot about this this past weekend. After seeing the destruction of the trees, do you think they will attempt to really show the changing of the world from flat to round by Eru? Whew, um, my money is on no, um, but uh, I, I mean, I can't, what could I rule out now, right? I mean, on the one hand, it's hard to imagine I was just having this conversation a, a little while ago. Um, it's hard to imagine a bigger visual storytelling flex moment than we're going to depict um, the alteration of the entire planet, right? Um, that's, that would be incredible. To see them pull that off, that would be incredible. That would be one of the highest degrees of difficulty you know, film shots that I can picture, right? Um, so, yeah, uh, we'll see. I'm not convinced. Um, I think the safest thing, the safest expectation is just for the flat round earth thing not to really come up, right? Um, uh, I think that's, that's likely. Um, Drew as far as only if they use practical effects. It's exactly what, what we were joking. We were joking. We're like, okay, um, is their budget high enough to build a, to build a, you know, can they go to, what's it called? Megalotherian uh, and build a custom planet that's flat and then make the actual planet round? Like, is that too much to ask? Um, uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, we'll see. Um, but um, now, Blood Ill-Tempered wants to see Beleriand sink into the waves. Now there, that I think we've got a shot at. I think we do um, because of the way it's going to be the anticipation of, uh, you know, it's going to, it's going to be foreshadow foreshadowing to the fall of Numenor. So, you know, I think there's, uh, there's some real potential there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. Um, yeah. Good. Um, I agree. I, I too think that Slarty Bartfest would approve. Uh, absolutely. A hitchhiker's Guide uh, references for those who are not getting that. Um, okay, so yeah, so we'll see. Again, I, my, if I had to make a prediction, my prediction is no, we're not going to see. I think that the, the cataclysm of the drowning of Numenor probably is going to be enough. Probably going to be enough for them. Um, uh, uh, probably enough to be going on with, but, uh, uh, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, yeah, anyhow, um, who knows? Who knows? Um, okay, I feel like there's, and there's another question I wanted to come back to. Um, there was a lot of overlap, Elena, between uh, the, the footage we were shown in London um, and the things that we've seen so far. Yeah, there's uh, quite a bit. That's why I keep getting confused and uh, paranoid <laughs> about what I'm talking about because I can't remember, uh, I can't remember where I'm, whether I'm breaking the NDA or not. Um, uh, yeah, now, Witch King, uh, in The Great Tales Never End, one of the essays includes Tolkien's thoughts on pronunciations and accents um, that he gave in the 1954-55 BBC radio adaptation. I wonder if this was considered. A lot of Tolkien's primary sources there were considered. Of course, that book wasn't out yet, so I'm not sure exactly what all they had available to them then. Um, but I did get to meet Leith McPherson, who's the, um, uh, the, the dialogue coach. Um, the dialect coach, rather, uh, on the show. And that was, she's awesome. 
um, I really love uh, I really love her work, and um, uh, she she really knows her stuff. Um, so I you know I know that they're using a lot of things there, um, and uh, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be interested uh, in uh, uh, in in that we were um, we were telling her. Uh, 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 James Tauber was reporting back, uh, and, and others, who was it? Um, um, Alan, I think Alan Sisto as well, um, to, to Leith about how careful the actors were being about correcting the pronunciation of their names, um, uh, when they were being interviewed and stuff. That was, that was, that was fun. Uh, Leith would be proud, everyone was saying. Um, but um, yeah, she was on the Prancing Pony. The, the Prancing Pony had Leith, uh, uh, the Digital Talking Project uh, did an interview. Uh, James did an, uh, an interview with her. Um, yeah, oh, the, uh, Vanyar, great question. Okay, why are the Tar and R not included in Muriel and Farazan's names? Ah, now that gives us some information. Um, because neither of them is ruling yet at the beginning of the show. Muriel is just called Muriel because she is called in all the like press, you know, info and stuff. She's called the, the, the regent of Numenor, which I believe means that Tar Palantir is going to be alive, like alive, but on his deathbed or something, probably at the beginning of the show. Right. So um, we're going to get Muriel before she becomes queen. So she's not going to be named Tar Muriel yet and therefore certainly not married to Farazan yet, who is still just Farazan. He's not our Farazan yet because he hasn't seized the crown. Um, and this was really fun. I, too, blood ill-tempered, suspect that Farazan's rise may well be a multi-season arc. And I had a really fun conversation with Tristan uh, Gravel, uh, the guy who plays uh, Farazan. It was funny. I totally didn't recognize him. Uh, he was one of the ones I had a really hard time placing which character he played. Um, because he, he didn't have his beard. Like he, uh, that beard, by the way, that like really cool gray and black beard um, uh, that he has as our Farazan in the show is natural. He grew that himself. Um, but he had it cut, you know, he, he had it shaved uh, uh, when I met him. Um, so uh, uh, we, um, uh, and so, as I said, I didn't recognize him. But anyway, he had some really fun things to say about uh, our Farazan. And it's clear that they want to show not just our Farazan's rise to power, but they're doing a thing which, you know, I, I, I can't help but say is another thing that's similar to things that we did in the, in the Silm Film Project, um, a thing that we've done several times before. There are a number of times when in Tolkien's works, beca especially because of the compression, right, when we're getting this, you know, uh, small-scale historical overview, right, well, large scale in the scope of what it's covering, small in the length of document, right? Um, we, uh, like, uh, like the Akalabeth, right? Like uh, um, uh, the Ainulindale and stuff like that. Um, anyway, uh, in, in things like that, we often get characters who are just like bad guys from day one, like Morgoth, right? I mean, again, we get a little bit about Morgoth in the Ainulindale, but I mean, like when he comes to Middle-earth, he's just like bad guy from day one. Right? He doesn't go through any kind of Anatar phase or anything like that. So when we did season one of the Silm Film Project, we said, well, hang on, let's take it a little slower with Morgoth. Let's try to help viewers to see a little bit more clearly how he gets from point A to point B. Right? So we kind of delayed his fall a little bit and played that out over the course of season one. Um, I think they're, they're going to do a very similar thing with our Farazan, who in the books, villain from day one. Right? He appears as a villain. Um, 
marrying his cousin by force and usurping the throne. Um, and then he goes from quite bad to much worse, right, over the course of his story. Um, I think they're not going to do that. I think that what they're going to be doing um, is they're going to be, uh, they're going to be showing us his trajectory from, I, I believe they're going to have him start out as what uh, uh, Tristan said, um, he's a public servant, right? And by the way, I'm not even going to try to do justice to Tristan Gravel's awesome Welsh accent. Um, okay, I'll tell you one story in which I tried it, tried it a little bit, but, uh, but anyway, um, he says he, he's a public servant, um, sees himself as a servant of Numenor, who is going to, no doubt, grudgingly um, take power, right? See that there's a need, a void that needs to be filled, and, and he's going to, you know, uh, 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 you know, more in grief than in anger, uh, take over. Um, basically, they're going to show, not necessarily to like, not with a goal necessarily of making us sympathize with our Farazan exactly, but to show his trajectory. Like he is a hero in his own eyes, right? In his, he is clearly the hero of his own story, right? And to sort of show how that is, how he gets there, right? What he is able, um, what he's able to do. Um, but um, he, um, anyway, here's the other thing that I think to me becomes really clear when we think about our, you know, think about Farazan and the way that they depict Farazan and why I also am expecting a multi-season arc from him. And that is our Farazan is going to carry the weight of the fall of Numenor story in this show, right? If there is one single character who needs to like embody the whole trajectory of Numenor from the glory of the Numenor that was through the process of um, corruption down to, you know, down to abyss, you know, down to the final evil, um, it's going to be Farazan's character, right? Farazan is going to, in his own character, I believe, dramatize uh, that progression. And I think that that's fascinating. Fascinating because Tolkien was so good at that. That's such an important element of Tolkien's own themes. He shows us many characters at different stages of that particular journey, right? And so to be able to see them do that with Farazan, yeah, Bjorn Asanar, he is the fall of Numenor. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, yeah, he's going to get, uh, Marie, he is going to get a window and a Sildur as kind of... Um, uh, counterpoints in some ways, right? Um, and seeing that kind of playing off of each other, I think is going to be really interesting. Um, but, um, but yeah, anyway, I, I'm, I'm kind of loving that actually. I think that's going to be a really, really interesting, uh, thing to watch. Um, and, um, anyway, um, <laughs> uh, some of you were asking about, uh, are the actors aware of the, um, you know, the haters, right? The, uh, this group of people who seem professionally interested in uh, maintaining the atmosphere of outrage um, about the show. Yes, yes, they're aware. Um, we talked a little bit about that. And, um, you know, they admitted it's not always easy, right, seeing these kinds of things. Um, but um, Tristan uh, Gravel uh, was funny about that. He was like, uh, you know, he's talking about how he, um, you know, it's easy to say, like, I just don't understand how people can do that and why they act that way online and everything. And then he said, but then one day uh, he was telling how he's um, a, um, a fanatical uh, fan of, of, of the Welsh Rugby League. 
and uh, you know, when one evening, when uh, as per usual, his uh, favorite rugby team had managed to snatch defeat out of the jaws of victory, and um, and you know, he found himself he found himself online angrily type, typing comments about what a bunch of idiots these people are, um, and uh, and then he said, and then and, and then I had a moment. He said, he said, oh my goodness, I'm one of them. He says, he says, but but then I'm Welsh. So I doubled down. <laughs> it, was, it was really funny, uh, but anyway, you know. So we were kind of talking about it, and they are—they are aware. But you know, I mean, the thing is, um, you just—you uh, um, you just—you know—kind of do what you do. And I think um, with this, I think the atmosphere is going to get much more um, difficult. Uh, for the haters to maintain uh, as we move forward uh, into when, when this actually um, comes out here. But um, anyway, um, uh, yeah, so, um, <laughs> so, 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 uh, so there we are. Anyway, all right, I got to run. I'm, uh, I'm out of time here. Um, uh, really good. I've been so much, so many of these things I've been looking forward to sharing with you guys and talking about. We'll do more. Maggie's going to be back next week. We'll do some more detailed look at the trailers um, to talk through some more of that stuff. Uh, uh, and I'm hoping soon uh, to have some folks from the production. Um, at the very least, I, I don't believe uh, that the actors or showrunners are going to be able to have permission to come on shows like this until after the season uh, at least launches, perhaps finishes. Um, so we won't be able to get them immediately, but I think we will actually be able to get some, um, I'm hoping to bring on one of the art designers um, and maybe one of the writers um, to just kind of talk about that process. To um, We're not gonna be able to ask them spoilers, of course, so you know, don't waste your time, but, um, but I would really like to learn more about sort of the process and, and kind of the, you know, the, the back end of what goes into this. So. Um, Anyway, that's, uh, uh, that's what is coming up here on Other Minds and Hands. So look forward to seeing you guys next week when hopefully uh, I'll be here again um, in the studio. Uh, but um, uh, we, will, uh, we will see you guys soon. So thanks, everybody, and we'll talk.